Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today is Brett from Bohan Reviews. Welcome back to the podcast, Brett. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me back. I am glad you're back, and I'm glad you're doing well. So last time you were on the podcast, Brett, we reviewed the Disney Plus original film, Artemis Fowl. (laughs) I mean, even though that movie was an absolute train wreck, our conversation was a lot of fun. It almost made watching the film worth it. Uh, But this week, we're going back to the Disney Plus well, hopefully with better results, to review the original film, The One and Only Ivan. We'll start by warming up with a spoiler-free review of the film, then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And lastly, as always, we'll finish out with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. But first, let's read a synopsis of the one and only Ivan. A gorilla named Ivan tries to piece together his past with the help of an elephant named Stella as they hatch a plan to escape from captivity. The one and only Ivan stars Sam Rockwell, Danny DeVito, and Brian Cranston. It is written by Mike White, and it is directed by Thea Sherrick. Let's give him a great show, okay? The one and only Why do they want an angry gorilla anyway? You're a silverback. He terrifies humans. (laughs) You're not terrifying. Who's that? My sister. Where's your sister now? I don't remember. Memories never leave us. They just get out of reach. Whoa. Did you draw all these? A gorilla. Who draws? What is it? Don't tell me, don't tell me. It's a lonely haystack on a late summer day. So every time I see the title for this movie, I just assume instantly that it's like something to do with Ivan the Terrible because Ivan the Terrible is the only Ivan that I can think of. Like it's the only famous Ivan. I mean, so for whatever reason, I always think that this movie is like a child's version of like the childhood of Ivan the Terrible or something, (laughs) but it's definitely not that. It is a movie about a gorilla um, and Ivan is an actual gorilla. He was an actual uh, silverback gorilla that was kept in captivity and worked in a circus somewhere in Washington. But let's just start overall, Brett. What were your thoughts on the film? How did it work for you? Uh, short answer, it didn't really, uh, which is which is disappointing. It's definitely an improvement over uh, over Artemis Fowl, but I don't know how much worse it could get. So that's uh, not like a huge ringing endorsement. I think for me uh, in general, this one was sort of a film where I found some things about it that I appreciated, but overall I just don't think a lot of what it was trying to do really ended up connecting. Uh, and so uh, I'm not I'm not as down on it for sure, but it, it's definitely not one that I was overwhelmingly pleased with either. It's it's a real bummer to hear you say that because I actually thought that the film worked pretty well. I thought this was a really charming movie. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's the best thing ever made, but I thought that it was a really cute and well-told, well-told story. I thought that a lot of the uh, animals were adorable. I thought that a lot of the relationships between the animals really worked. And I was actually really surprised by the CGI in the film and that 
it actually worked. It actually looks pretty good. They look like realistic animals. And for a movie on Disney Plus, I thought the CGI actually did a really good job at being believable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think the CGI is surprisingly good in this. Uh, there were a couple of times where I thought it was a little bit distracting, but for the most part, it worked really, really well. And I was sort of kind of expecting like a Call of the Wild type uncanny thing going on. But uh, I... I ended up really, it was not, it wasn't really an issue. And I don't know if that's because it's animals interacting with other animals mostly. And so we don't like have a human to compare them to, but it, it did, it did work for the most part. I think the film also does a really good job at striking the right balance of realism and, um, and the ability for the animals to actually emote. So, I mean, it's kind of unfair to, compare this movie to something like the lion king but in that movie you know because the cgi in that movie is is amazing it's mm -hmm. it's in a completely different scope than this movie but one of the common criticisms about that movie is that you can't tell when the animals are happy or sad and that emotion of the film is really lost in that but i think in the one and only ivan it actually the animals look relatively realistic they look like they're actually mm -hmm real animals but they also do kind of have still have the ability to emote and you can tell when ivan is sad and you can tell when he's upset but let's transition to talking a little bit more about what didn't work for you um i think in general uh, i guess what i would say about it is that i felt like it was sort of unsure about what it wanted to do and what it wanted to be and i think that's really evident in sort of Brian Cranston's character who is occasionally the Disney cartoonish villain and occasionally sort of this more sympathetic character and I think for me that's what I had a problem with was that this film almost felt like two different films because in the opening we get sort of this sympathetic portrayal of this circus and we get Brian Cranston as this lovable character who's just trying to make ends meet and 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 save his his dying business um and then it sort of shifts into a film about freedom to some extent i think and and uh animal activism and uh so brian cranston's character sort of also shifts as well in that and i think there's just a, sort of this inconsistency that exists between those two elements of this story that that didn't quite connect for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's perfectly fair. I personally thought that it did kind of manage to have a sense of identity, but it does sort of get a little bit more muddled uh, towards the end of the film. And maybe we can talk about that more a little bit later. But something that I found pretty bizarre about this movie when I was researching it afterwards was that it was supposed to be released in theaters and then it pivoted to a Disney Plus release. And that's just crazy because it seems so perfectly at home mm. on Disney plus. Like I'm, I could not imagine seeing this movie in theaters. Right. I, I completely agree with that. I didn't have any sort of, uh, expectation of this being, I didn't even know actually until I looked at your, your notes before, uh, that this was supposed to be in theaters. I, I thought it was supposed to be on Disney. So, uh, that's sort of news to me. Uh, it does feel very much like, a, a Disney Plus film. It's sort of what they're 
what they've had so far. I mean, Togo is real animals, but they've got a lot of animal films that they've put on Disney Plus so far since the release. And I feel like this just fits right in with the the model that they've had so far. So that did surprise me. It, it works at home. Uh, I don't know that I would have seen this if it had been in theaters. I don't think I would have taken the time to watch it. So um, I, I think it's probably for the best that it was on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to compare this to a film like Dumbo. I mean, A, because there's also a baby elephant in that, but B, because Dumbo, it's a theatrical release, so it has to have these big bombastic set pieces, and it has to have this whole giant CGI thing at the end where the entire circus gets set on fire, and there's this whole uh, cinematic and um, climactic event. But there's nothing really like that in this. There's nothing, you know, everything kind of takes place in one space. It's just the circus at the mall. There's not a lot of characters or a lot of these big, exciting set pieces. And I mean, for me, I think that actually makes the film work a little better. Like with Dumbo, it's kind of so distracting that that thing is so big, but it doesn't really have the CGI to support that. Whereas in this film, it can tell a smaller and more contained story. And I really think that it lets the story at the center live a little bit better than in something like Dumbo, which is definitely not a good movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as as far as Dumbo goes, I, I agree. Dumbo's not a very good film, but I, it, it's it is it is much bigger on that spectacle uh, on that spectacle level than this is. This is just sort of that smaller film. Like you said, it's it's mid budget mid budget. It doesn't have any huge things. And I think it I don't know. Part of me thinks that it wanted to be that a little bit and, and tried to be bigger than it was. And I think it does sort of. There were a couple of times in this film where I felt like it was trying to be other movies. And uh, like when Ruby comes to, to the to the circus, that that whole scene reminded me of Dumbo. So I, I do think that this is a film that occasionally feels like it wants to be something more. And maybe that's why, maybe it was trying to be more theatrical, but but I agree, it doesn't have that sort of big blockbuster-esque-ness to it. Yeah, it's definitely not a blockbuster. And I thought that actually made sense, because this is a children's book. But when I was prepping for the podcast, so I guess today's Sunday, so yesterday, I thought it might be nice to just check out the original book. I figured I could like throw down a few dollars to buy the ebook on Amazon and then read through it because it's probably like, you know, a, a where the wild things are type book where it's like 15 pages and filled with pictures and I can just bang it out really quick. But this book is actually 320 pages, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. Like, I can't believe that there's actually that much substance to the book. But knowing that, I feel like the movie takes a lot of shortcuts. And you you mentioned it doesn't quite know what it wants to say. And I think a lot of that stuff is thematic content in the book that I don't think the movie really focuses on. And I mean, that is a bit unfortunate. But again, it's just trying to be a kid's movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that you had it written in your notes. So I don't know if we'll get to it later, but I despise that argument of it's just a kid's movie but um i i don't know as far as uh as far as the book goes and as far as like its translation i don't i haven't read the book either but uh i didn't even know there was a book 
I know it's based on a true story, but um, I I just felt like there were elements of this film where it could have, uh, it, you know, it could have maybe without going into that dark territory that we talked about earlier, uh, made us understand why Ivan's Ivan changed his mind essentially. Uh, and I just don't think that happens. And I, I, I do wonder how much of it is like a Disneyfication, like you said, where, uh, Disney sort of has this mandate of, of it all being bright and cheerful. And maybe that had some, uh, some influence on, on how the story went. But I did just feel like there was, there was an opportunity here that was missed. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, I want to circle back to what you said about how you don't like when people use the excuse that it's just a kid's movie. I think we're actually going to be on a, on a similar page here. I I, I misspoke because um, <laughs> I agree with you. I, I think what you're going to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're going to say is that it's kind of like writing off certain types of movies to say, oh, it's just a kid's movie. And a lot of the time, like with animated movies, for example, people will say, oh, you know, Secret Life of Pets is just for kids. So, you know, it's just an animated movie. Who cares? And that kind of insults movies that are actually really amazing and happen to be for kids, but can also speak to adults, you know, like Pixar movies or I don't know, Into the Spider-Verse, for example. Um, So I I don't I do think that's an interesting point that but but I don't want to step on your toes. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I definitely, I agree with everything you said. I, I just, I also think that it's unfair to to kids' movies. I think it, it's it's unfair to kids in general, actually, to sort of, to sort of say that and be like, hey, we can, we can take it easier. Uh, you know, this film doesn't have to be as good or have to make as much sense because kids aren't going to care anyway. And I, I think we're just, one, we're not giving enough credit to kids because I, I do think that, in some cases, kids can can make that distinction and see where, you know, a, a, a film is good and where a film is not good. I mean, even looking at films that sort of stood the test of time for me, films that I look back on, sure, there are plenty that are driven entirely by nostalgia, but I also have a lot of films that I, I, I that have stuck with me from youth that that deserved it, that, that you can point to and say, you know, uh, the narrative structure or, or whatever of it works really, really well. And, and I just think it's not, it, it's, it's such a cheap argument to say, well, it's just for kids. So, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be as good. And I, I just don't think that's, that's fair, uh, to kids. And I think that's just sort of a, an easy cop out for writers. So I, I just don't like that argument. Yeah. No, that's completely fair. So I, I'm trying to think of another way to say what I mean to say, like, I suppose what I mean by it's just a kid's movie is that it's clear that this is the type of kid's movie that very much wants to just be entertaining as opposed to delivering a really profound message. And I'm not saying that you can't have kids movies that do both, but in the same way that an action movie can like just be a good action movie without having anything actually interesting to say. I think certain kids movies can be good for something that's just entertaining and cute and, you know, relatively well-made. And I do think that this movie does a good job at not insulting the intelligence of its audience. Um, 
I don't think it's as offensive or egregious as a lot of the other kids movies that are just like fart and poop jokes. I mean, there, there is a poop joke in this that really yeah, pissed me off. Me too. But um, <laughs> I do think that overall the voice actors aren't phoning it in. Um, it's clear that there's some love behind the camera here that even though it's not a movie that is really asking you to question serious themes as a piece of like, let's make a good piece of entertainment. I really like this movie for that. So I, I guess that's what I mean. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that that does make sense to me. I understand. I understand where you're coming from when you say it, say it that way. Cause I, cause I do agree. I, I do have some things about it that I still just don't think, uh, don't think work on that level as well. So I do have some, some things about that, but you mentioned voice actors and I kind of just want to, if I might just kind of segue into that. Um, yeah, go for it. I, 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 it didn't end up being as sort of distracting to me as it felt immediately upon hearing his voice. But like, who looks at a 500 pound silverback gorilla and says, you know, who should voice that? Sam Rockwell. Because that, that was just such a shocking voice to come out of that gorilla's mouth uh, when when the movie started that I was just, I was floored at first. It was It was much more shocking to me. Then Josh Gad's weird voice and Artemis Fowl. Yeah, I mean, it's a choice. <laughs> I I don't really know why he's doing this. I made the joke when the movie started. I was like, oh, okay, so is this gorilla going to be racist and then have a redemption arc? <laughs> because I, that's that's all of Sam Rockwell's characters. That's the reason you cast Sam Rockwell, right? Um, but I mean, maybe if I was giving the movie the benefit of the doubt, I could say that like, Having the silverback gorilla have a softer voice like Sam Rockwell's is showing that, oh, he's actually a gentle soul, which is sort of one part of the movie. But I think that is me just reaching. I can see that argument, though. Like, I, I can see if maybe that's where they were going. But I I feel like if you th- if you thought that, you didn't think through the shock factor of hearing that voice initially. Well, and the first time that you hear him speak is the opening line of the movie, but it comes right after something on the screen that says, inspired by true events. And then the gorilla <laughs> goes, hi, I'm Ivan. And I, I, I understand that inspired by means that not everything is true, but I was like, oh, okay, a, a talking gorilla, <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought in general, the voice acting was fine. You've got Danny DeVito as a dog, Angelina Jolie as an elephant. And uh, I was watching the movie with my girlfriend, or I guess I was watching it next to her. She didn't care about this at all. But I I was like, who is that elephant? She sounds familiar. And somehow she just was able to figure out that it was Angelina Jolie. And that was like amazing. I, I, just, I could not believe that. It's such an unrecognizable voice. Right. I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize it either until afterward. And I looked at the cast and it's really, it's kind of disappointing because I agree with you, the, the voice acting is fine in this film, but this cast is way better than fine. Um, and so you you would expect maybe a little bit more there, but I just don't. I also just don't know how much was there to work with either. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, did you have a favorite animal or a favorite voice actor in the film? That's a good question. Um, I mean... I think Danny DeVito is sort of the 
the go-to, uh, at least for me. He's the one that, that feels the most uh, like he fits into the animated sort of voiceover role uh, the best of any of them. I just felt like maybe Sam Rockwell was so distracting because it was Sam Rockwell. And Danny DeVito, I'm just... I'm just familiar with Danny DeVito as as a voice actor and an actor. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Danny DeVito is probably the one that stuck out the the most as being like the best voice actor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that like everything with his Bob the Dog character was actually relatively funny. <laughs> um, and he was like a sweet character in the movie. Again, you know, not like an amazing character or anything, but I thought brought quite a good deal of charm. I thought that the bunny that I believe is played by Ron Funches, is that how you said Funches? Uh, that bunny was very funny in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, he was, he had, he had good moments, which is, which is like all the more impressive because he's really barely in the movie, but I feel like <laughs> yeah. when he is in the movie, it's like noticeable. So I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's just hop into spoilers really quick here. I don't think we're going to, you know, talk about anything like there's not that much to spoil yeah. about this movie, but we can just talk a little more freely about it. And I think people I'm sure have already decided whether or not they want to see this movie. From, right. <laughs> what you said from what I said. So uh, why don't you just summarize the film, give it a score out of 10, and then we'll hop right into spoilers. Um, well, I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to summarize uh, what I feel about this. I, I do think <laughs> that there are some things in it that are definitely positives. And I think that this the, it's so difficult for me because I, I think that it, maybe I'm harder on ambitious films because I feel like this film had potential mm-hmm. and and, um, and was almost there and, and maybe there was some, some ambition there from the filmmaker. And it does have its strengths in terms of uh, direction and, and even screenwriting at times. But overall, I, I just think that it it's going for something and it never quite gets there. And that was difficult for me to reconcile. So um, I'm going to give it a four, maybe a five out of 10. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to be a a lot more positive about it, but I think that's fine. Uh, You know, this is a movie that, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that you might be harder on this film than maybe it's deserves because I think I might actually be easier on it than it deserves just because I've been relatively low on most of what Disney has pushed out lately, you know, other than Marvel and Star Wars to an extent. And I found that this one was surprisingly adequate, which is not (laughs) glowing praise. I understand that. But because it was like, and I'm also really burned from Artemis Fowl, I'll be honest. It was the last thing I watched on Disney Plus that wasn't like a rerun of some TV show. And so... I just really had some really low expectations for what this was going to be, especially knowing that it was a movie about animals, which are usually kind of just, oh, let's throw something on the screen and it'll distract kids for a couple hours. So because of that, I, I think that, like you said, the the direction and at times the writing is um, competent enough that it feels like an actual movie and it feels like a movie that's doing a little more than just trying to throw colorful animals at you, plus because those animals actually look relatively realistic. I think like for some reason, the chicken is the least realistic animal to this or Mm -hmm. in this for me. But um, the combination of that just makes it that I found this movie incredibly satisfying. It was really easy to watch. Um, 
And for a movie on Disney Plus, I thought it was a, a really fun time. So I'm going to give it like a 7.5, I would say, just because, you know, a little better than what I was expecting. <laughs> And and you know maybe I'm maybe I'm just jaded and tired after my first two <laughs> weeks of law school. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean you know we all know that being tired can definitely make you like really cranky when it comes to, to watching a movie. But I, but I will concede that like you know this I'm not gonna go and say that this movie is a flawless masterpiece. So I can see that there's some issues here, and we'll uh, hop into some of those issues. I'm gonna say spoilers for I. Uh, Keep almost saying Ivan the Terrible, but it's the one and only <laughs> Ivan starting now. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about what this movie is trying to say about circus animals or what it's struggling to say, right? Because we as the audience want these animals to have freedom. But at the beginning of the movie, you do see that this man is a sympathetic character played by Brian Cranston, who raised um, Ivan all the way from when he was a baby. And if they all leave, then we're going to have to shut down the circus. And there's like not really a way to coalesce those two ideas into something that's fully satisfying. And then they kind of do just like, rush through a lot of the animal rights activists trying to um, say something about, you know, what animals should or should not do. Um, I'm sort of just doing a stream of conscience ramble here. (laughs) I realize it's not very, uh, you know, coherent, but the ending also ends with them being like sent to a larger cage essentially. So I don't even know. Cause they keep talking, you know, I want Ruby in the wild. That Stella's thing is I mm-hmm. want her to experience the wild, but she's just in a slightly bigger cage. She's in the Atlanta zoo. So it's not like we're just releasing the animals to the wild or they're in the habitat that they should be in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. So uh, going back from the beginning of this, I think that, you know, I, I said that this feels almost like two different movies. And I think that part of that is because it feels like it's trying for a different message at the beginning about, uh, you know, sort of the struggles of, of small businesses, uh, at first. And, and then there's this scene, um, where Bob is sort of looking up at where Brian Cranston's office is. And you see sort of his, his prissy pampered dog with the kibble, and and sort of I was like, are we looking at some sort of class uh, class <laughs> activism type yeah. type thing here? Is that what we're talking about? And then it switched into this uh, this thing about animal activism and animal rights and 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 freedom. And then you're right, it does it ends sort of it it feels like it's trying to end on this very positive note about um, you know they're they're in the wild now they're free and they have. Uh, you know they're in a natural habitat, but you're you're right; they aren't really in that at all, and they're just sort of they they've moved on from the smaller cage to this bigger cage. And I feel like it's a it didn't it didn't realize the problem with that when it was when it when it when they wrote the film, they didn't realize that that was an issue. And I, I think that is another another problem that I have with this film. 
Yeah, I mean, they certainly don't address it outright. Like, they they make the ending seem like this is the thing that the characters wanted. But the characters, and I mean, I, I guess the animals don't know the difference between, like, the actual wild and the, for all intents and purposes, wild. Mm-hmm. But it, you're right. It, it doesn't quite connect. It doesn't quite all come together there just because the way that it's written is like we know what the characters want and then it pretends like they got it even though they actually didn't but i mean again that's also complicated by like you you can't really release animals that were in captivity into the wild that's that's you know they just they get too dependent on things and they will not be able to fend for themselves especially like a monkey that's been around humans its whole life um I wonder if maybe that's what happened with this film, though, in general. I just, like, they got into it. They had this idea of what they wanted it to say. And then as they were writing it, it it turned out that it was going to be nearly impossible to make it actually say that without creating some other moral quandary. Um, Mm. Yeah. Um, I think it also might be because that's what actually happens to Ivan Mm -hmm. in real life. Like the actual Ivan does get released to the Atlanta zoo. And for all the problems that the ending does kind of have, I did really like the little ending montage of seeing the actual Ivan and hearing the actual story. Although I'm sure again, it's very Disney fied. I'm sure the person that owned the circus that he worked at for 27 years was not, even nearly as nice as what is portrayed by Brian Cranston. I'm sure he didn't love going to work or whatever, like mm-hmm. he says at the beginning of this movie. So there is a lot of problems there, but I, I did think that like, I really liked seeing the, the actual Ivan hold the flower, which is something that they replicate with the CGI Ivan holding the flower. All of that did really work for me, even if like what it's trying to say thematically didn't quite work. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that ending little montage of the actual Ivan was the best part of the film, uh, which is almost too bad. I I do wonder if maybe there is a a better version of this that exists. And I also wonder if that better version would be a good movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I, because I do, I do wonder, because as we're talking about this, it almost feels like, if they were to do this as sort of more of a biopic type thing, except obviously it's not a, it's not a person, it's a gorilla, Mm. but I still wonder if I would have issues with that because biopics a lot of the time don't work. So uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, right? Like there, even if it was a little more darker and even if it did kind of get into that, you still have, the problem of like Ivan not it's kind of a sad story right I mean at the end and I think even when I was reading up on it like he never actually was able to form any strong relationships with any of the uh, the female gorillas and that was all a struggle just because he had been so used to being around humans for so long so I guess like the only way that this movie might be super resonant is by making it kind of like a depressing film at the end. But then you're sort of getting into like, why wouldn't you just make this a documentary? And they do have these documentaries about these types of chimpanzees and apes that were 
sold to individuals in the 60s and 70s and stuff. So, But one thing that I did, again, still find pretty touching was that at the very end when Brian Cranston is saying goodbye to Ivan and they're kind of farewell i thought that was actually a pretty touching scene and i've also found the coda at the very end of the film where he revisits ivan and bob is adopted by the the family and everything all of that like yeah it was super cheesy and cliche but Mm -hmm. it was really cute and it it did work for me yeah i mean i I wouldn't say that this film is like (laughs) this film is definitely not heartless i mean it's got it is a disney film clearly and it's got like those those moments where it's trying to to tug at your heartstrings and make you feel good. And I think what this film does best is sort of create uh, believable relationships between its characters so that when those moments happen, they don't feel quite as forced as maybe they actually are. And uh, Mm -hmm. it, it worked for me too, I'll say, but like, Going back and, and and thinking about them, I realized that maybe they're not they don't work quite as well as they did in the moment. Uh, but I, I do think that in a way that you couldn't do with Artemis Fall if you don't really think about what's going on in the film or what it's it's saying to a, to like a, a distinct extent. Uh, I do think that this film does work in in a lot of those sort of sort of ways that you expect a Disney movie to work. And I, uh, I can appreciate that. Yeah. So like it works at a pretty raw emotional level, even if the actual story around it doesn't quite work. I think that's, that's the best way that I would explain it. And the other thing is that those emotions and the, like you said, the relationships, they don't feel, um, studio made or like artificial um they they don't feel like they're making these relationships just to make you feel something in in a way that i feel like a lot of times in these newer disney movies and especially the live action disney movies they'll like have this scene where it's so clear that the only reason they're doing this is so that like you feel sad later in the movie and i don't think that I felt that like with the relationship between Stella and Ruby, I was actually quite surprised that they just killed Stella. That was rather surprising to me. Um, I mean, especially because like we've been talking about, this is a Disney movie. Like that that didn't necessarily feel, I mean, it doesn't necessarily feel out of place for a Disney movie because it's not out of the question for Disney to kill off characters. Uh, But it, it did, surprised me because it was very unexpected there was nothing it it doesn't feel like abrupt or like it isn't earned but it also is not something that i thought i was going to see in this film either so i i think i agree with that it does work even though it's not something i would have thought was going to be in this movie (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I when the uh, elephant started having the the paw problem or whatever, I was like, "Are they gonna freaking kill this elephant? What the heck? This is not what I signed up for." <laughs> I, and I, I think I didn't have that connection immediately. I was like, "Oh, there's there's something wrong with it with its paw. That'll make it so that Ruby's not gonna wanna, you know, participate." So that that was sort of the conflict that I saw from that, and then it was like, "Oh." They're going to kill her. 
<laughs> the other thing is that I saw one image from this film before watching the movie, and it was the picture of all the animals standing like in the parking lot about to cross the freeway. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's no big elephant in that picture. What's <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> so I was kind of a little wary going into it. Like, I don't know if I should like this elephant that much. <laughs> She's not escaping. That's for sure. <laughs> I didn't make that connection, actually, uh, when I saw that picture uh, and then watched the film. So good on you for, for seeing that ahead, ahead of time. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the death of the elephant certainly is probably more um, explored in the text that this is based off of. I mean, and I'm sure there's a lot more to do with legacy and making promises and all this different stuff that is just very surface level tackled here but let's just go ahead and end with something a little more lighthearted. and i've got a question that i think you know as a lawyer i would love to hear your uh your your answer to this (laughs) well i think you're gonna need to like come on and and defend a um i don't know where i'm going with okay my question is who would win in a cage fight dumbo or ruby Uh, be a prosecutor be a defender whatever yeah uh, oh, um, it's, it's gotta be Dumbo. And as yeah. much as I, I, as much as I like Ruby, I, there's, there's no way. I mean, obviously Dumbo has the significant advantage of being able to fly. Uh, but I think even without that, Dumbo probably has, has the edge here, especially depending on when in Dumbo's sort of life this is, this is occurring. <laughs> Cause I think Dumbo, faces quite a bit more adversity than Ruby does. And I think, you know, even if there's no flight involved, he's going to gut out that win. Yeah. Is this like confident Dumbo? Does he have the feather? Does he believe he can do it? Because I think Ruby, I I, I would like Ruby to win. I, I, I love Ruby in this movie. I think she's super adorable and not in like an annoying, adorable kind of way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think Dumbo's just got the edge. He's a bit bigger. The one thing is that those ears... He could trip over them and Ruby could kind of do like a, you know, pin down, tie him up with his own ears kind of thing. But yeah, I think I think it's Dumbo by a landslide for sure. So, okay, Um, we'll just end there. Those are our thoughts on the one and only Ivan. Um, I think (laughs) it is. Yeah. (laughs) So um, let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So, Brett, you mentioned that you have been busy with law school. I know the first two weeks are probably super crazy, but have you had time to watch anything else recently? Uh, actually, I have. Um, and I have two things that I want to sort of shout out here. Obviously, yeah, so- yesterday was the DC fandom, and there was all of that big news uh, about DC. And so because of that, because I was sort of in this DC mindset, I finally decided to watch Justice League. Oh, wow. Boy, was that a mistake. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's it's honestly not nearly as bad as I expected, but, like, the first 20 to 30 minutes were pretty much exactly as bad as I expected, and I was really considering turning it off uh, very early (laughs) on in in the film. Once it gets its stride, it's very generic, but it's also just meh it's fine it, it's it's an easy enough watch um but yeah it's not great and uh i 
knew that coming in, but I also knew that when the Snyder Cut comes out, I'm going to have to watch it. And uh, yeah. I wanted to see what the original was like before that happened. It's interesting looking at the trailer for the Snyder Cut because uh, it does at least look like a different movie. Yeah, I'm not I would sure agree that, with that means better, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing, the other things, I guess that I watched, I watched, uh, a couple of, uh, or a couple three legal dramas before law school started to, you know, get pumped, I guess. So I watched, um, Aaron Brockovich, uh, Philadelphia and a few good men. Aaron oh. Brockovich did not work for me. And I know it's okay. sort of this beloved biopic that that a lot of people think are is among the best female-led biopics ever made it it didn't work for me i i think if you're looking for a legal drama that sort of tackles a similar subject of sort of a, a big company poisoning the little people uh dark waters from last year is a significantly better look at that ethically and morally i think um and i i just didn't connect i guess with any of the characters i think they're very cartoonishly portrayed mm -hmm. philadelphia to me i did enjoy it a lot and i think that um a lot of it's really well done i i do sort of have this question about how people receive it today because it is almost it's basically a white savior film except it, it's a straight savior film i guess where uh yeah where a, a straight guy is, is is defending a gay guy and and sort of he has all of these different uh these different biases coming in and then over the course of the film he learns to be not homophobic so even though i i did appreciate a lot of what it did and i think it's a very uh touching and a very thought provoking portrayal i do think uh, that was something that i couldn't shake the feeling of when i was watching it and of course a few good men um it, it it's got one of the most iconic exchanges in in history in the history of film <laughs> and uh i think the film i think if you're gonna watch a film to get pumped for law school like that's the film to watch because it's just it has uh, that courtroom scene is just so uh so exciting and i, I don't know how you I feel like everybody who watches that wants to be a JAG lawyer after watching that. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, Loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. 
I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. One of the things that I discovered about myself in quarantine is that I am an absolute sucker for like an even halfway decent legal thriller. <laughs> so it just the drama of it is so easy to digest and mm -hmm. it's so easy to just get wrapped up in it and have somebody stand up and be like objection, you know, and um, so I have recently watched Philadelphia and uh, a few good men have not seen Aaron Brockovich. But I'll probably check it out despite you <laughs> saying it doesn't hold up. Here's the thing. Like, for me, I have seen maybe two Soderbergh films that I actually like. And okay. Soderbergh is, like, hugely acclaimed for a lot of people. Uh, so if you like his films, I imagine that's probably that it probably works for you better than it worked for me because I just don't connect with Soderbergh's films for some reason. Okay, yeah, that's perfectly fair. Uh, but your assessment of Philadelphia and A Few Good Men, completely agree with both of those. I think Philadelphia, I, you did a really good job at putting it into words. And I think the byproduct of, of that is that the film feels very dated. And it's not that mm -hmm. the film is bad or that it's particularly offensive or anything like that i mean you know i i can only say so much i i i don't know whether people look back at it now and especially how the lgbtq uh population feels about it mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it's um homophobic or anything like that but it does just like the the dynamic of the film feels very dated and it feels like it's a little it's it's almost like green book mm -hmm. in the sense that like what green book is trying to do is well intentioned but it's just so dated in how it assesses race dynamics especially nowadays so it's like it it, it is a little weird to watch that film now and just be like oh okay it's it's very pat with what it's trying to do and it's just trying to make you feel good and then with a few good men completely agree I love that movie. I think that scene <laughs> is awesome. But I think my favorite uh, scene in the film is actually when uh, Kevin Bacon is asking the uh, the corporal. I can't remember his name, but he's he's cross examining the guy and is like, "Can you point in this book uh, like what a code red is?" And he's like, oh, it's not in the book. And then as he's walking away, Tom Cruise comes and just grabs the book right out of his hand, which there's no way you could do that in an actual courtroom nope. drama. But <laughs> but then he he just gives it back to him. And, and just that like that finesse that Tom Cruise has is so mm -hmm. amazing. I love Tom it. Tom Cruise it's, is so good in that film. It's so it's it's like I, I, I've seen so many movies recently with Tom Cruise where he's just this big action star. But like when he does dramatic roles, he's very good in them and i i do wonder if maybe tom cruise decided to do something oscar baity we we could see an oscar nomination for cruise again yeah for sure yeah you should also check out the firm that's another like tom cruise lawyer movie and that one's pretty fun too it's really long it's not it's not as good as a few good men in my opinion but it's it's another like tom cruise being a lawyer 
and just kind of like kicking ass yeah if you're using the legal watch system as many lawyer movies as i can before i learn too much about yes. being a lawyer <laughs> because once i learn it all i'm, I'm not going to be able to watch a lawyer movie and be like oh that that's not how it would be in real life and I yeah. just feel like I need to need to because I'm already doing that to some extent. Like I was already doing that when I was watching, uh, watching a few good men in Philadelphia, and even more so to Aaron Brockovich because I had already started classes when that happened. And I just feel like if I want if I get through law school, I'm not going to be able to enjoy uh, legal thrillers anymore. Hopefully you can still just be like, oh, it's a movie. They have to take liberties. But uh -huh. from what I've heard, most movies are nothing like what being a lawyer is actually like. So best of luck to you there. Thanks. Um, <laughs> in, in reference to the Justice League thing, I just want to say that, like, I haven't seen that movie since it came out in theaters. And I remember watching it in theaters and actually not despising it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um but then, you know, I, I came out with my friends and we were both kind of like, Ugh, that wasn't great, was it? It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. And then we were sitting there, you know, waiting for the metro or whatever. And these two, this group of people that had just also come out of the movie was like, that was the best superhero movie I've ever seen mm. to each other. And <laughs> I just, I was like, oh, no, I don't oh, think no. I can even remotely <laughs> agree with that. It's, yeah. it's so interesting because it does feel almost like it, it's got that sort of dull lifelessness to it that the other DCEU films have, but it also lacks the style and flash of Zack Snyder. So it, mm -hmm. it's it's somehow even worse than those. Plus, I don't know what was going on with the comedy in the film, but it never once landed for me. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure the comedy like works even less when you're just like at your home watching it. Yeah. I saw that you uh you uh you posted that you were not thrilled with the Batman trailer. Yeah. Um I've I've done a lot of like trying to evaluate why that is because the trailer is in my opinion it's fine. Um I think it's more just like the Batman character as a whole is not as exciting to me anymore as some of the other characters that we really haven't gotten a chance to mm -hmm. see. And I don't know what I was expecting from Robert Pattinson, but it does look a lot like he's Batman. I mean, and Batman is only <laughs> so different in all his iterations. You know, he's, he is always brooding. And so it would be disingenuous to not play him as brooding. But mm -hmm. to me, it was just, Oh, it's just another brooding Batman. Yeah. I, I, agree i guess to some extent with that but i loved the trailer i thought it looked <laughs> no great. i'm glad it's, it's sort of the it's sort of the what i've been looking for from batman and obviously the movie hasn't come out and so maybe we're you know it's being overhyped obviously at this point it's obviously being overhyped but you know it's matt reeves so i i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt but just sort of the brutality of the one scene in that trailer that's what mm -hmm. i like, I want a Batman who's going to be as ferocious as Ben Affleck was, but not kill people. Like, he'll go <laughs> to that edge, but he won't cross it. Like, that's what, I, that's what I've been looking for since The Dark Knight, because it feels like sort of the next natural progression for Batman um, is to go that sort of really, really dark way. And that's what this film seems like it's going for. 
Yeah, and I do really trust Matt Reeves. I think he did an amazing job with the Planet of the Apes movies. Like, mm-hmm. There's no reason those movies should work nearly as well as they do. Um, I think my apprehension is just the kind of hyperbolic in one way or another, either positive or negative, the hyperbolic feelings around anything Batman. Like you you release a single image of Batman and the yeah. internet loses its mind. And some people are like, this is the best Batman ever. And then other people are like, this is the worst Batman ever. Or it, it's like, what are Star your thoughts Wars, on the logo? Really. Yeah. And Star Wars is the exact same way that it's like, I, I'd be okay with never seeing a Star Wars movie again, just because I don't want to deal with that anymore. Um, like I, I've but, completely been, I've completely stayed off Twitter since yesterday because I just can't, I can't deal with it. I think that's the move. It is definitely the move. But I, I'm sure the movie is – I don't have any doubts that the movie will be at least good. Um, I just hope that – and it is, I guess it's kind of on me to temper my expectations. But I really hope that I'm not setting up this expectation for myself that, oh, everybody else sees something so amazing. So it has to be amazing for me. And if I it's just really good, then it's a disappointment kind of thing. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. I I already know that my expectations are way higher than they should be uh, <laughs> at this point, but uh, can't help that because Batman is my favorite hero. So yeah, well, hey, I mean, I would be an absolutely awful person if I was like, don't don't be happy about something in 2020, <laughs> you know. So wherever people can get satisfaction, that is fine with me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what did you watch? Yeah, so uh, I'll just uh, keep it short. I'll talk about the one movie, one of the movies that I watched recently. It's called The Rental. Let me show you out back and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. (laughs) (laughs) Carly! Tell me that's not a camera. This is a horror thriller. It stars Dan Stevens, Jeremy Allen White, who is, uh, he plays Lip in, uh, what is that called? Shameless. Shameless. And then, yeah, Alison Brie and uh, Sheila Vand. And it's actually directed by Dave Franco. And, you know, this is a movie like, okay, if you have never once rented an Airbnb and been worried that you were going to get killed by the person who rented you that Airbnb, then this movie will explain to you why you should be worried that the person that rented you that Airbnb will kill you. Um, it's it's a B movie thriller, so you know it, it takes it all takes place in that one location. It's very small and low budget. Um, it's two brothers and one of the brothers' girlfriends, the other one's wife. They rent out this nice nice beach house for the weekend, and then things kind of start going weird when they start thinking that. They're being watched and followed by the person that's hosting them. And I think the movie is really good at building tension. I think there's a good general state of eeriness to it. And I think that the film in general does a lot with a little. Um, But other than that, there's, you know, there's nothing all there's nothing to it. Um, 
it's like an in and out movie. It goes in, it says, okay, we want to create a suspenseful kind of uh, tense environment. And then in 90 minutes, you're done. And I thought it was really entertaining. Uh, you know, it's doing what it exactly what it wants to do well. And I think I'll, kind of similar to the one and only Ivan for me is that it just does what it wants to do and it's charming and it's well-made. And I think that overall it's not gonna, you know, reinvent the thriller genre or anything, but it's a fun little film that will be like, Ooh, that was spooky. And then you will also definitely be, you know, scared to rent an Airbnb again. So (laughs) I'm already scared about renting Airbnb. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I've heard about it. I haven't seen it myself, but um, most people seem to be more down on it than you. But yeah, I mean, it 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 sounds like it's sort of just mostly a um, like a directorial platform for Dave Franco yeah. than it is necessarily like a, a thought provoking or incredible incredible film. So you know it. If this, uh, you know, if he's a good director in the film and if it, it, it gets him more projects and better projects in the future, then great. Yeah, there's nothing that screams, this is the reason that I started directing, if that makes sense. It's it's not a, I mean, super unfair to compare it to something like Get Out, but it, it doesn't have anything that's like, this is a passion project for Dave Franco. He definitely incorporates some of his own life into the film. I mean, Alison Brie is in the movie uh, and the younger brother is insecure about not being good enough for his super amazing girlfriend and that he thinks that his older brother is so much better. And I'm not going to claim to know mm-hmm. Dave Franco's inner psyche, but Dave Franco is with a woman who it's Alison Brie. And then his brother is also James Franco. So mm-hmm. I would assume that he's putting some aspects of his life into the film in a way that's like somewhat interesting but again the the movie it's not really like trying to unravel that or anything it's more just being a a cute little thriller and for that it's it's fine um the characters still act really dumb sometimes which is frustrating and then at the end there's some twists that are sort of like almost twists just for the sake of twists and at the end of the movie you're kind of like okay so what but i guess that could be an argument for almost any movie at the end when there's a twist you know like okay so what that oh, i'm not going to spoil a random movie but um <laughs> <laughs> you know i i think it's an it's an effective if not simple film so i i liked it for what it was and it's like six bucks on amazon or itunes or whatever and i think you could do a lot worse in terms of you know, sometimes you just want a new movie instead of something that's mm-hmm. plopped to you from 2005 on Netflix. So, uh, yeah, that was the rental. Um, it's on VOD and it's relatively cheap to rent in comparison to like the King of Staten Island or something. It's not a $20 rental. So I'd, I'd recommend it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's no $30 for Mulan. So <laughs> you could you could rent the rental five times or you could watch <laughs> Mulan. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, okay. This has been our review of the one and only Ivan. Brett, thanks again for joining me. Um, is there anything you want to plug here? No, not really. I haven't been doing much. This <laughs> is pretty much the only thing movie related I've done in a while. You can follow me at Bohan Reviews on Twitter, but other than that, I haven't been very active. 
Okay, well, I am very glad that you took time out of your week to to do this. I really appreciate it, and I thought it was a good conversation. I'm sorry we didn't agree on the movie, but you know it makes for good conversation. <laughs> it's it was still it was still at least twice as good as Artemis Fowl. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, you mentioned that maybe this is the start of a, a theme where each movie we see gets better and better. And so I don't think the one and only Ivan is going to be that difficult to clear. So mm -hmm. hopefully the next movie that I have you on for is even better than that. And we never have to go back to whatever the hell Artemis Fowl was. Yeah, hopefully it's not like cyclical, like we'll get to a, like a 10 yeah. out of 10 movie and then it'll go back to a 0 out of 10. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed it's all just like upward growth from here on out the intro music for this episode is a piece called work by kevin mcleod and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com if you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes you can follow us on twitter at movie marapod or on facebook at facebook.com slash movie marapod that's movie m-a-r-a pod and you can always reach out to us at our email movie marathoners pod at gmail.com you can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcast.com slash movie-marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, and CastBox. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by my friend and frequent guest, Ian Anderson where we will review the Harley Quinn animated series that's currently on HBO Max and also break down some of that interesting DC news that we've received recently. You got a bit of a tease of my thoughts on some of that this week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.